Lord, thank you so much for, for what you are doing, Lord. Thank you that you're, you're here with us, Lord. Thank you that you're, um, for the pouring out of your spirit over, overseas, Lord. Thank you for the ways that you're um, um, restoring our land as well, Jesus. Mm. Pray you, you bless this time, Lord, as we uh, dig into the word, into your words together. And Lord, that you'd, you'd speak to us, even if it's just one, one little thing, Lord. Help us to catch a glimpse of your glory this morning. Please uh, transform us to be more like you. Thank you, Father. And join us together, Lord. Amen. Um, so a, a few weeks ago, um, we... Thanks, Sam. Um, a few weeks ago, we began uh, looking, at, looking at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Another word you've got to say slowly. Psalm 1, not someone. Psalm 1. Um, and it contrasts these, these two kinds of lives, like the, the, the life... Uh, the flourishing, over, overflowing kind of life of the righteous, which sounds awesome, uh, or the dry, dead, chaffy, uh, wasted kind of life of the wicked, which doesn't sound awesome. The image in Psalm 1 of the righteous is one of trees that are, that are planted along riverbanks, bearing fruit each season with leaves that never wither and they, and they prosper in all they do. And, and so for the for the last few weeks, and we'll probably keep doing it for a wee while, we've been thinking about how, how, we, how we become like those trees. How do we be like those trees drawing from the river? How do we have like, deep root systems extending into God and, and drawing the life, you know, drawing life from God? The psalm, Psalm 1, it makes it clear from, from the outset that the stakes are really high. It's literally life, life and death. But the way of God the way of life is found in God and in his words. And it says, they delight, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Some beautiful background music I'm hearing. <laughs> is it not? Where's it coming from? Ah, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> Are you sure it's coming from Kids Church? Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> so these people, like the, the righteous, they delight in the law of the Lord. No, leave the door open. I was just being silly. Um, meditating on it day and night. In other words, um, learning and discovering what God wants from us and living that way, or submitting our own, our, own, our own ideas of how to live and instead yielding to God's way. So when, we, when we're um, gathering around the Lord's table this morning, I talked about Romans 12, verse 1. Paul's instructions about true worship to be living sacrifices, and it's this image of, of taking our entire lives and, and placing our lives on the altar as a sacrifice. In the message translation, Eugene Peterson, he puts it like this. Oh, I've got my clicker. Eugene puts it like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Instead, Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Read, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Going deeper into God, like being like those trees with root systems extending deep into God um, and discovering more of the life that he offers us, discovering more of the life he offers us and worship of God uh, are, are, are so tightly interwoven and interlinked. And this is a really high view of worship, a grand vision, and, it, and it's incredibly compelling and incredibly exciting. The way of fulfillment and meaning in life, deep joy, security, love, more eternal life is the journey of, of worshiping God. And the writers of the Psalms, it's, it's amazing to me that we have this songbook right in the middle of the Bible, 150 Psalms, songs. The writers of the Psalms, they seem to get it and they encourage us to get it too. Like this one by, by King David, he says this, or he sings it. The one thing I ask of the Lord, this is Psalm 27, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple, for he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At a sanctuary, sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. And later in the same psalm, he writes, Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path. Because he knows that only God's ways are actually worth living. But it begins with this, with this heart posture of worship to God, delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple. Like, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine it or can you picture it? It makes me think, you know, God is invisible, but it makes me think of, of David gazing upon him with fascination and, and adoration, fixing all of his attention on God. Yeah, you know, to use the words from the Lectio 365. App, pausing to be still, breathing slowly, recentering his, his scattered senses upon the presence of God. And, he, and he's there and he's, and he's carefully listening. He's, le- he's leaning in. It's like he's leaning into the Lord to hear what God is saying. Maybe he's, he maybe just wants one word, one word from God. Or how about 10. Your worship of God means placing God at the highest place in our lives. If you have, if you have priorities, you might have a list of priorities in your life. Well, like worship of God means having God as, as your highest priority. The, the Ten Commandments are also, te- are also called the Ten Words. And in Exodus chapter 20, God spoke these words to his people to guide them in living freely now that he had rescued them from Egypt. And he says this, I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. 
I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So in, in Egypt, the, the place of Israelite slavery, uh, other gods were worshipped. Loads and loads of gods. Idols. Images that, that people associated with gods. Uh, images that associated gods with, with created things like the sun. The sun god or, or the Nile River was also worshipped. And the, and the result was horrendous. For the Israelites, it was a place of harsh slavery and death. You, you pick up the book of, of Exodus and you read like the first chapters and there's, um, there's, there's a, the evil Pharaoh commanding that all infant boys were, were killed, murdered, infanticide. Idol worship or, or worship of anything that isn't God leads to slavery and death. So uh, reading from the, the NLT, NLT study Bible notes, they write, to represent God as something in creation was inevitably to end up worshipping the creation rather than the creator, and this immorality had deadly consequences. Or uh, Pastor Tim Keller, he, he puts it this way, he, he says, when we begin to worship and serve created things, paradoxically, the created things come to rule over us. So worshipping God leads to freedom and life. This is why God's giving the, these words, like these commandments to the, to the people he's just liberated from slavery. Worshipping God, having, me, having, having God as number one leads to freedom and life, whereas worshipping anything else leads to slavery and death. And, and this was not only true for way back then, way back then in the, in the ancient Middle East. This is true today, just as true today. The biggest battle we face in our lives is who or what we worship. We are designed and created to worship God. We are designed to come under His rule and reign and to reflect who He is, who He is in His world. We are made in the, in the image of God, it says in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Imago Day. I think that's how you say it. Made in the image of God. So in, in God's created order, God is overall. God is God, right? <laughs> it's kind of the definition of God. God is overall. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, and we, we are below God. We are created in His image and not the other way around. And in this created order, in God's created order, God gave human beings, He gave us the authority to reign on earth under His authority, which means doing what He says. And there's a, there's a word a word for this, a sort of a word that's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, but it's a good word, submission. Submission, which is defined as the action or accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another, another person. The action of accepting or yielding to a superior force. 
And, and you know, like so far, this sounds, all sounds pretty straightforward, eh? And easy, maybe not. But anyway, this sounds pretty straightforward. Worship God, let Him be number one in your lives, and it's all good. That's the way to the good life, right? But what if what God wants conflicts with what we want or what we think we want? What if one day we're in the garden? I don't know what your garden's like. Mine's pretty overgrown. But anyway, you're in the garden one day, and there's a fruit tree, and you see that fruit tree, and there's some fruit, and it looks so good, and it looks so delicious. And man, wouldn't it be good to taste it? And didn't you know this fruit has special powers? This, this fruit can make you like God. But you kind of got God's, God's sort of commands whispering in your ears, don't eat the fruit. Eat the fruit and you'll die. But you go, oh, but I want to eat the fruit. I just want to eat that apple. It looks so darn good, God. Why are you so mean to me? I want to eat that fruit. Don't stop me, God. It's all about grace, so I'm going to eat the fruit. But what do you do? And so that's what happened, right? That's what happened. It is all about you know, grace. I'm sort of made that. That was a dumb joke. But anyway, that's what happened. Adam and Eve, instead of submitting what they wanted to what God wanted, instead of submitting what they thought was, instead of submitting what they thought they wanted to, to God's way of life, they decided they knew better, and they took the fruit, and they ate it, and sure enough, they knew and experienced evil. And, then, and they knew and experienced death. It, this was a pivotal, this was the pivotal moment of worship in all history. Until Jesus submitted himself entirely to God and set us free from slavery and death, which is what we reflected on earlier. So worship means willing to give up what we want if it doesn't align with what God wants. And it means like placing all of our lives in submission to him. <laughs> who, who knows Fanny Crosby? Who's a fan? Fanny Crosby. <laughs> Some of you, she uh, was a hymn writer with a great name, Fanny Crosby, 100 years ago. And, and she wrote this, um, wrote this song called Blessed Assurance that you might, re- might remember. Blessed Assurance. And in the final verse it goes, perfect submission, all is at rest. I've got this up on the screen, right? No, there we go. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness. Lost in his love. So I reckon that learning how to submit learning how to submit our wills to God is actually something that we need to practice. Um, you know, loads of people were probably running around the bays this morning doing the 7K or the 21K or whatever. Um, and they would, have, they would have trained for that. They would have practiced for that. And at first it would have been kind of hard running 7Ks or 21Ks, depending on how fit you are, you know. It's sort of hard. But, but, you, but you practice it and you get better at it and then you can, and you can run further. We need to practice actually submitting our wills to God. And, and as we do, we reflect God's glory more and more. Remember, like, we're, we're, we're made in His image. We come under His authority. So when we submit and we actually, like, in obedience to that authority, then we learn and we begin to reflect God's glory more and more when we reflect it to a world that desperately needs Him, living into our design, living into our purpose as made in the image of God, practicing loving others. You know, what's God like? Loves people. 
So we've got to practice loving others. Kindness, mercy, patience, generosity. Often I think we probably know what God wants, but we just don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm just speaking for myself. Often I, often I know what God wants, but I just don't want to do it. <laughs> Loving people is too hard. So we have to train ourselves. You know, we train ourselves, so we practice. We find ways of practicing. And in this, I had this great little segue, but it's a bit forced. I'm going to use it anyway. Like a, like a musician trains to be able to play music. So a musician, when you pick up guitar or something, when you first pick up a guitar to play it, you're, you're pretty uncoordinated. You don't know how to get good sound out of it. You probably like, like playing it. Like my boy Eli, have you seen him picking up a ukulele? He just like whacks it around. He really enjoys it, but he's not making a great sound. But he's going to be good, you know? He'll practice up. He's probably going to be better than me in like two years' time. But he, um, so, and it's going to like release, he's going to become more freer, you know, creating more, more beauty with that song. So anyway, that was, and then, so that brings me to our gathered times of worship. You see why that's kind of like a bit of a forced connection. Yeah, but anyway, I'll just, I'm just going with it. It made sense when I was writing this at almost midnight last night. Um, <laughs> it was one of those weeks. When we come to, I was sort of thinking about, like why, so why then do we, why, why then do we come together and sing? Why do we come together and sing? Why do we call this time of song worship? I don't know. <laughs> but, but we see this. We see this over and over again in the Scriptures. Ephesians 5 is the chapter to read. Uh, if you remember nothing else from this morning, like it's awfully quiet in here, so just think Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, go home and read Ephesians 5. It's a great chapter. Ephesians 5, Paul begins the chapter this way. At midnight, I must have deleted what he wrote from my notes. So this is what he wrote. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. This, to me, sounds like this big picture of worship that we've been, that we've been thinking about this morning, reflecting God with our lives as we, as we surrender our ways to his. You know, you read that chapter, you are going to read that chapter, eh? Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5. It gets pretty thorny, okay? Just a way of warning. Like, it quickly kind of gets into, into, into details. Throughout the chapter, Paul highlights different ways that we can shift off course from worshiping God. So he goes into the nitty-gritty, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and so on. And he's, he's just, it's just honest stuff, right? We, we are in a battle, remember? We are in a battle, and everything in the world uh, tries to lure us into worshipping other, other, other than God, worshipping ourselves, what we think we want or need or whatever it is, worshipping ourselves, worshipping other people, worshipping our work, worshipping material goods instead of worshipping God. It's a battle because the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our souls is, is doing what he can to try to lure us away from the freedom and life of worshiping God. He's trying to lure us into slavery and death. Instead of worshiping God, because worshiping God is the place of freedom and life and goodness, hey? Uh, verse 14, I hope I didn't delete that, delete that one. So anyway, 
Here we go. Oh, well, there it is. Nitty, this is nitty-gritty stuff in Ephesians 5. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks to, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I reckon. <laughs> here's what I reckon. I reckon our gatherings, our, our coming together, and specifically our, when we have songs when we, when we sing our songs of worship to God, this is a moment that collectively, as the church, we're fighting back against the temptation to worship created things rather than creator. It's, it's a pivotal moment in our week. I don't know what your week's like. I'm kind of like this, up and down, right? You go to church, Zoe preached a great message about reading the Bible last Sunday, get all pumped up to read the Bible, go home. Don't read the Bible. No, I did. But anyway, that's just because I was getting ready for preaching. No, that's, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean, eh? And so we have this moment, we come together and we can encourage one another. And it might be 15 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour. And we like focus our, focus our hearts and our, and our attention on the invisible, on our creator. We collectively fight back. Psalm 22, one of the psalms, you know, the psalm that Jesus cried out from a cross, it says, God is enthroned in the praises of his people. God is enthroned in the praises of his people. All throughout the scriptures, this is an encouragement to come together and sing his praises. So there's something, you know, how we, we took communion, the, the simple elements, the, the bread and the juice, like these simple elements. And it's the same with, with worship. Like, it's simple songs. We sing these songs together. But there's something incredibly sacred about it. There's, so there's something about the simple human activity, our voices in unison singing about God that actually has spiritual power. Uh, Dan, Dan Wilt is a, is a worship leader and um, used to be a pastor over in Canada. And, and he, he talks about how, how songs are a place we go. Songs are a place we go or, or a place of encounter. And this is what, this is what, this is what it's like eh? when we worship God, when we worship in songs, where we're coming to encounter God. And it's probably one of the, it's probably, one, it's probably a great tragedy in the church of the last few decades, that, that worship, or at least worship songs, have been um, commodified. Or sometimes it gets turned into an, an entertainment industry. Uh, I was trying to figure out what the word for that was with Zoe. Entertainmentization? Yeah, entertainmentization. That's a problem. And so we, you know, even when we come to worship, we've kind of got to set our attention on God rather than trying to be entertained by Anna and the handsome boys. Zeke, yeah. <laughs> you're so distracting, Zeke. Your good looks. <laughs> but places, songs are a place we go. And I know you might also, when you go home, you're going to read Ephesians five, right? Ephesians five, Ephesians five. You could also like look up um, about the the Asbury um, pouring out of the Holy Spirit and just read about what what it's like in that in that chapel. It's really simple. There's no big band up on the stage. But people are like there and they're worshiping God together. 
Uh, if you if you want, I can point you to a, an, an amazing article uh, about it. So so our songs are like this place like God is God is in our midst and there's like spiritual power to it. But I also wonder if there's an aspect of our gathered worship that actually reflects the future. It's a sign of God's kingdom being here as well as pointing to what the future is going to look like. When uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that all things are going to be under the authority of, of Jesus, under the authority of God. And there's the vision that John had in the book of Revelation, chapter 15. I'm, I'm going to finish with this one. So this is the future. He writes this, I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. In other words, people that didn't bow down and worship something that wasn't God. They were all holding harps that God had given them, And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. So this is an, it's an encouragement. I want to encourage you this morning. You know, when we, when we come together to worship, it, it, can, it can be a battle because it is a battle. But there's, but there's an incredible uh, gift in this. There's, there's life to be found for us, for ourselves, for the people around us. But it's for God because he is worthy. It's a place of, place of encounter. Just before the service, I, sp- I sprung on Anna that uh, asked her if she'd be right to lead us in a song. Because it just seems fitting, right? I've been talking about singing songs. I've been talking about worship. Would that be right, Anna? Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that one, yeah. So you've been sitting for a while. Do you understand? Do you understand? Um, but you're, you're free to continue sitting if you want. You can stand. Uh, what, what do we say, Kirsten? You can stand, you can stand, you can sit, or you can do both if you like. Um, but, but even this moment, like, um, you know, trying to, bring, trying to bring our attention to the Lord, trying to submit our, our wills, like, oh, but God is so uncomfortable to stand. Well, maybe, uh, maybe you've got to submit that to God. <laughs> oh, God, I don't like singing. Oh, maybe we've got to submit that to God. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not God. <laughs> I just realised as I was saying that. Hang on. I'm not. I'm not God. <laughs> Lord, uh, Lord, we we are here and we want to. We want to um, reflect your glory, Lord. We want to bring you praise, Lord. We want to submit ourselves to you.
Lord, even in this, even in this moment, as we as we sing as we sing this song, Lord, I pray, Father, that you you'd move in this place, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you would you would you hover over us, and, and would we would we encounter you, God? Lord, your your word says that you you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. You inhabit the praises of your people. Help us to know that you are near, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to be worshippers of you and you alone, Jesus. Amen. Come on.